Ruger Light Rack Security 380 is easy to shoot and easy to rack. Small enough to carry concealed or in a purse. Big enough to absorb recoil. Learn more at Ruger.com. Welcome again to Gun Talk. Yes, I'm Tom Gresham. It is Gun Talk because guess what? We talk about guns here. Awful lot for us to talk about today. We're going to be visiting one of the big shows out there. Not the SHOT Show. I know that's coming up shortly, but a big show that you may or may not have heard of, but you're going to want to know about this one. Also, there are new guns being introduced left and right. Some will be held until SHOT Show, which is a a couple of weeks from now, but some are coming out now. We're also going to talk about some of the things that are going on in the courts, and there is a huge rally going on in Virginia you're going to want to hear about. So do not go far. But first off, let's bring in a a good friend of ours. He now becomes (laughs) our correspondent, Ron Spomer from Ron Spomer Outdoors, joins us from the floor of the Dallas Safari Club. And Ron, did you pull a fire alarm? (laughs) There is a fire alarm been going on for about 15 minutes now. I think there's a congressman who stopped in. (laughs) That makes sense. Okay. First of all, tell people, I mean, a lot of people have heard about Safari Club International, and that's one group, but this is not like a chapter of, this is a different organization, right? Right, right. You know, I don't know exactly how it started, why it started, but boy, it's pretty active and they've got some great conservation programs. Most people hear a name like Safari Club and they think it's a bunch of hunters getting together to buy more guns, load more ammo or something. Mm-hmm. But they raise millions of dollars for great conservation programs around the world. So it is similar to Safari Club that way. It's just a, a whole different program and just a wonderful bunch of folks. And it's a huge show. I mean, if you've ever been to your mm-hmm. local trade, uh, you know, gun show or hunter expo, this dwarfs anything people have been to before. Oh, gosh, absolutely. I mean, we're up in the 10,000s on aisles, and these are very long aisles. <laughs> wow. All right, so when you go there, what do you look for? Is this a place where you could go and, like, find outfitters and book hunts? Yeah, mostly it's it's guys who are looking for more hunting gear and or places to hunt. So you get a lot of outfitters from around the world. Australia, Argentina, and African countries, Asian countries, you name it. They're here, and it's just a wonderful opportunity to stop and visit and find out what outfit or pH sort of jives with your philosophy, Mm. not just where they are and what they have to offer for game, but their personalities. You get a chance to visit with them and say, gosh, I like this guy. I think I can get along great with him in camp, and vice versa, too. (laughs) Right. I got a buddy who just went to a a basically an outdoor show in Denver. He was looking to book a hunt, trying to find a place to go. He said it was kind of small and not really well attended, and he said, but you know, it's interesting. The African hunts seem to be bargains. And I said, you know, I've been telling people this for years. You want to kind of weigh in on that? Because if, if you said, okay, I'm going to go to British Columbia or Yukon or something to do a hunt, you could go to Africa for that, can't you? Oh, absolutely. And and get more animals. You can go on a BC or an Alaska hunt for a moose at ten dollars to $20,000. It's just crazy what the prices are these days. But for that kind of money, you go to some of these Southern African countries and you can probably shoot five to ten different species, including eland and kudu and oryx and some of the really big stuff. And it's just it's amazing how much more you get for your dollar over there. You know, and my buddy's a big elk hunter, and I would say, you know, if you're an elk hunter, if you start talking about kudu, which is mm-hmm. basically African for elk for me, <laughs> you know, and eland, which is, what, half again, twice as big as an elk? 
Oh, gosh, yeah, they'll get easily to 1,800 pounds, sometimes even 2,000 pounds. World's largest antelope. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even dwarfs the moose. They're, no. b- bigger than a moose? Yeah, bigger than a moose. Wow. Okay, good deal. All right, so we got to do this. Uh, I know you're there, and I appreciate you being our correspondent there at, at Dallas Safari Club. But you got a brand new book. And I said, okay, I saw this. It came out. I got to go, you know, I got a copy of it. It's Ron Spomer's 7mm Cartridges from Around the World. I got to, first of all, I'm thinking, hmm, if you did a 7mm book, it's got to be like a 30 cal book right behind it. <laughs> you guessed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm already at work on the 30, but boy, I sure had fun doing that 7mm book. That it, is my favorite. It is a rundown of the most popular. Seven millimeter cartridges plus chapters about wildcats and lesser knowns and all of that. It's not a loading book. It doesn't have load data in it. It's kind of a rundown of you want to know about this. And for those of us who are pretty bizarre into this, we do the yeah, but what about? And then I'm going to compare the seven MMOA to you know the seven millimeter psalm, and I'm going to compare this and that. This is the perfect book for that. Yeah, you know, I think I came up with 46 or 7 different 7-millimeter cartridges that have been around. Some of them are proprietary, some are Wildcats, but there are a surprising number of commercially available cartridges. I think we still have about 16 of them, all in 7-millimeter. And it gets pretty confusing for folks, especially when you start looking at the European ones and the British ones. Well, so it's kind of fun to to look at them, not just from the perspective of how fast do they drive a bullet of a certain weight, but... How did they arise? Who made it? What was the parent cartridge? What were, were they designed for? I mean, it's pretty fascinating when you really dig into it. And if you're trying to pick one, say I want to go hunting, I want to pick a cartridge. The reality is, and this is the part that gun writers, hunting writers, we don't like to say out loud, is if you're somewhere around the more popular ones, it doesn't make a lot of difference, does it? <laughs> You're giving away the trade secrets, Tom. I know, I know. It's like you're you're thinking, yeah, but we've sold like billions of copies of magazines of the 308 versus the 30-06. Really? Yeah. Really? (laughs) No, absolutely. It's pretty arcane little stuff that makes the differences. But I've got a list toward the back of the book of all the cartridges and their top velocities with different bullet weights. Mm -hmm. You look at that, and it really becomes apparent how redundant a lot of these are. You know, it's funny you say that because I was looking at that yesterday and going through the chart. I'm going, there's just not a lot of difference. I mean, even to the point where people say, yeah, but you know, you got the Magnums. Great. Okay. Take a 7mm08, which is a very mild cartridge, and then compare that with a 7mm Remington Magnum. And you're still talking about what, 200, 250 feet per second? Yeah. Yeah. And then in yardage, you might gain 30 to 50 yards at most uh, flatter trajectory. Well, these days with range finders, you can compensate for that pretty easily. I am reminded of a saying that I like, which is, we generally worry about the wrong things. I think that applies mm-hmm. here. Oh, absolutely. You, you worry about the cartridge more than the bullet, and it's the bullet that's doing all the important work. Well, and that world has changed so much. You address that, and I've been, I've been running some numbers. And I go to my you know JBM Ballistics, and I'm running all. And what I'm realizing is that if you have, I was here's what I was doing. I was comparing the 284 Winchester with the 30 out six, and people say, "Oh yeah, the 30 out six is going to hit harder." Actually, out to 400 yards with good BC bullets, you're talking about 25 to 50 foot pounds of energy difference. I mean, that's that's a mild shove. That's nothing. 
Yeah. You know, and that's one of the reasons I like the seven millimeter so much in any cartridge. But if it's a seven millimeter, in my experience, given what we hunt on this planet, all the big elk and the moose and the, you name it, that is just the right balance of bullet diameter for bullet weight without brutal recoil. 30s obviously have been wildly successful too, but a 175 grain bullet out of a seven rim mag or any of the bigger sevens up against something like a 300 Winchester Magnum shooting a 180 grain bullet, which is pretty common in mm -hmm. the 300 wind mag. That's what sort of made its reputation around the world. You're getting equal or more energy at distance out of the seven millimeters. So I came to the conclusion, why should I shoot a 30 when I have to push my bullet weights up over 210 grains to get the same ballistic efficiency that I get out of a 175 grain bullet in the 7 millimeters? And you've got the same energy, so why put up with the recoil and burning another 20% of your powder? Well, and there is the, one of the big issues. <laughs> you have less recoil, and with less recoil, people tend to shoot better, don't they? Bingo. Well, I, I've always thought that was the reason that the 243 always outperformed, you know, performed better than we thought it should, is because mm -hmm. people weren't afraid of it. They would shoot it well and they would hit the target right where they're supposed to. And in the end, that's it. And people say, yeah, I, I understand, you know, bullet placement is key. And go, yeah, but recoil and reducing recoil allows you to do that. Yes, absolutely. And then the higher BC of those long, sleek bullets in the sevens also helps you get on target because you've got less wind deflection in any given situation. It's interesting you mentioned that. Last week on the show, I was saying, you know, I'm really moving to a little bit heavier for caliber bullets because across the board, I mean, yeah, you get a little bit more recoil, but the performance downrange is amazing. Yeah, that's the whole benefit right there. When you no longer have to worry about whether your bullet is blowing three inches off target because of the wind or eight, that's a big difference. It really is. All right, tell people where they can kind of follow you and see what you're doing because you have really expanded your world, my friend. Well, yeah, it's kind of nice these days with social media and the Internet. You can really get around. So we've got uh, ronspomeroutdoors.com website, and from there you can find just about everything. But we also have a YouTube channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors, a podcast channel that's available in all the usual places on podcasts, but it's also on YouTube, and there it is called Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcasts. Duh. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> so basically, if you were to go uh, do a web search for Ron Spomer, you would find you wherever you are. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it, just about everything pops up with that. So, yeah, great way to find me. And then go. if you're looking looking for the book, you know, we offer it on our website at a ridiculously high premium price because I get to autograph it and say to my dear friend, whoever. <laughs> so we, we offer that service. But if you want to get, save a few bucks, just go to Amazon and look it up. Seven millimeters by Ron Spomer, and you can get it for uh, about 20 bucks less. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really good book. I can tell it's, you put a lot into this, and I'm you know, not only enjoying this one, but I'm looking for whatever it is that comes next. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have that 30 coming out here this year. Sounds good. Well, look, have fun at the Dallas Safari Club, and I appreciate you being our on-the-ground correspondent. Yeah, and, and if I can get this fire put out and find that congressman, <laughs> my ears are going to feel a lot better. All right, take care, Ron. All right, Tom, good talking to you. You betcha. All right, 866-TALK-GUN will get you in here. Tom Gresham here. This is Gun Talk. 
Sig Sauer is kicking off the year with a very special offer for Gun Talk listeners. Right now, when you shop at SigSauer.com, you can save 20% off your first order when you use promo code GUNTALK24. Whether you're looking for extra magazines for your Sig Sauer pistol or custom Sig Sauer parts and accessories, Sig Sauer has something for everyone. Shop now at SigSauer.com and receive 20% off your first order with promo code GUNTALK24. Starting today, all Remington Model 700 rifles will come standard with Timney triggers. The Alpha 1 and Police will come with the Elite Hunter trigger, and all other Model 700s will have the new Impact 700 trigger. Timney was asked to build a replacement Remington Model 700 trigger that does not compromise on quality. Timney listened. Timney delivered. The secret to accuracy? It all starts with an amazing trigger. And the Impact 700 trigger is truly amazing. Owning, shooting, and carrying firearms is a big responsibility, so training benefits everyone. Gun Talk Media and Range Ready Studios provide the training you need. Semi-auto pistol operator, AR-15 carbine operator, ladies-only handgun, and reloading classes. The first-person defender experience puts you in realistic self-defense situations testing your survival mindset, tactics, and weapon skills. Range Ready prepares you to win. Sign up today at rangereadystudios.com. Our Honey Badger defense line features a new 357-127 grain load. Performance specifications are 1,365 feet per second from a 6-inch revolver and 1,900 feet per second from an 18-inch carbine barrel. Since this projectile is a precision machine monolithic bullet, there's absolutely no chance of bullet failure due to overexpansion fragmentation of the bullet. We think you'll appreciate the Honey Badger for the least complicated reason in the world. It simply works. Black Hills Ammunition, the power of performance. Ruger's 1022 rifle line offers a variety of models and features for whatever you need your next 22 to do. From target, takedown, or tactical, to competition, carbine, or compact, the 1022 action is a tried and true Ruger design, delivering consistent, reliable performance. With its classic styling and ease of use, the Ruger 1022 is America's favorite rimfire rifle. Find the perfect 1022 for you at Ruger.com. Welcome back to Gun Talk. Hey, Jim, take me out of queue, if you would, please. All right, uh, our number here is 866-TALK-GUN. That will get you in there. Let's see here. Making some adjustments here. Here myself through the headsets. <clears throat> so I had Ron Spomer on a little bit earlier. We were talking about the 7-millimeter cartridges. Okay, see if that's better. Hold on a second here, Jim. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my system here. I think I've screwed something up. That's okay. We'll work with it. New studio, you know. We're working this all the details out, doing what we can. So if you'd like to join us, 866-TALK-GUN gets it. I was talking about the 7-millimeter cartridges with Ron. And in the back of his book, he lists the MBR, the maximum or MPR, maximum point blank uh, range. Basically, sighting in, the old system was we would sight in a rifle, a hunting rifle, three inches high at 100 yards. The idea being that the cartridge, the bullet rather, is rising. No, it doesn't really rise, but we have aimed it upwards somewhat when we're sighting in. 
And so it passes through the line of sight and it rises, it uh, goes through at 100 yards, three inches high. Yeah, it hits somewhere in the middle, 250, 225 yards. It's up at four, four and a half inches high and then starts dropping back down. The idea is that what range can we hit a big game animal in the vital zone without having to aim higher uh, or aim off? So the maximum point blank range. And in looking at these various cartridges, it's interesting that there's not that much difference. And I'm comparing something like the 7PRC or the 7-millimeter Remington Magnum versus the much less powerful, perhaps, 7MM08. And the difference in the amount of the, the range you get, the distance you get for maximum point blank range is something like 30 yards. You're only getting 30 more yards with the Magnum. Now, part of that is because when you shoot at a higher velocity, the bullet at higher velocity has more air resistance, wind resistance, because it's pushing against the air more at this higher velocity, assuming you shoot the same bullet. Well, what that means is it's going to slow down more quickly. So I don't know, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, you may have a 200 foot per second difference at the muzzle, but when you get to 400 yards, you may have no more than a 50 foot per second difference in velocity. It's really interesting how that works and what, what's going on there. So the reality is the magnums, yeah, we all like our magnums. We like big cartridges, like the loud boom. And we somehow think that more recoil equates to more power and hitting harder. And I guess in a way it does. But once you get past, pick a number, 300 yards, you're really hitting diminishing returns out there. And the reality is, compared to what we were shooting three, call it 25 years ago, and the loads we have today, just going to, to higher ballistic coefficient bullets, higher BC bullets, is going to give you much better downrange performance. All right, let's do this. Let's grab Keith. He is called in on line two out of Arkansas. He's got a range of four. Hey, Keith, what's on your mind, sir? I wanted to tell you about my buddy, David, and he goes to Colorado every year in elk hunt. Okay. And, he, and he's killed several big elk over the decades. But he killed this year. He said the last day of the hunt, they were about to pack up. He he got pack mules and stuff, or pack jacks, and uh, and he looked up on the side of the mountain and, and sees a whole herd of elk coming down, and he picks out a big five by five. He said the biggest one he'd ever seen, and he uh, he got a ten thousand dollar rifle. I don't know the brand, but you have to. Uh, he get the they make the rifle and they make the bullets and they. Make it oh, all it's work. probably that's Gunworks. And he uh, he he shot this big elk at 984 yards through the heart and knocked him down right there where he stood. Wow! And, and David he shoots all the time. Uh -huh. And uh and uh and this ain't the first big one he killed, but it's bigger than all the other ones he's ever killed. Well, and I understand there are people who are capable of doing that, and more power to him. It's I have decided for me, it's not something I have any interest in doing. And I'll tell you, the primary reason is that I equate that to be less about hunting and more about target shooting, trying to hit something at a really long range. And the other is that the time of flight 
time that the bullet is in flight on a shot of, what, 900,000 yards is more than a second. It takes the bullet more than a second to get there. If the animal is just walking, literally just walking, like an elk walking, uh, that's probably six to eight feet of movement in that second. He if, said he was the elk was standing still when he shot him. I know, I understand, I understand that, uh, and the elk was standing still. Except that if you pull the trigger and then the elk takes a step, you got a full second for that bullet to hit somewhere else. Look, I'm not taking away from him. That's a fabulous shot and all the rest of it. It's not, as I say, it's not something I want to do. My problem is that while he may be capable of it, he may be a really good shot, and he's got the Gunworks rig, and he's paid the money, and the thing really shoots well and all the rest of it. I am. I fear it encourages a lot of people to try that who don't have that ability. Well, I know it does. We, we know this to be true. We know there's an awful lot of wounded animals out there because of that. So, I mean, good for him. That's great. I, I just find, for me personally, I can't really celebrate that. I would much rather say, wow, that, that animal's really out there. I got to get closer. May not have been possible in that case. For me, I'm just going to go, yeah, well, he was too far. I saw some really good animals out there. He's too far. But look, I appreciate it. I mean, it's an interesting range report, and I know people do it, but it's just not... It's not my thing, okay? Uh, does that make me old school? Probably. Does it make me an old fuddy-duddy? Almost assuredly. Does it mean I can't shoot? No, that's not really what it means. If you want to put steel out there, let's go have some fun. I'll go with you. We'll, we'll, we'll ring some steel. When it becomes an animal, I have a different take on it. I get it that my ethic is not the same as everybody else's. I get it that it's, you know, Something that I look at and say, it's not something I want to do. Other people will, will be willing to do that. Where do you fall on this? I'm just curious. Also, when we come back, I want to tell you, we've got a new numbers on the number of guns that are being sold and the number of guns that are owned in America. It's incredible. Also, something that I mentioned last week on the show, we now have a secret recording of NRA executives confirming what I believed and what I said. I'll fill you in when we come back. on and on and it's fun to pull the trigger and then wait and wait and wait and then bing and you hear the, the shot you know, the impact as it comes back to you it's fun to be able to see the hit on steel and then wait another second and a half or two seconds to have the sound come back to you isn't it no no absolutely it's uh it's better than uh winning at the, the casino when all the coins are hitting the, the slot Okay, so Michelle and Jim are in studio this time. So I'm guessing that 7PRC is a, has a whole lot less recoil than that Weatherby you used to shoot. Oh, absolutely. No, no, it's... Uh, I need to get a silencer, a buffalo on there, and I, help, I understand that'll help with long-range shooting accuracy, but it, it's, it's not bad at all. It's nothing like even a, a 6.5 Creedmoor or something like that. Were the other people who are experienced and they got the really big rigs, were they all shooting suppressors? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I imagine so. It just, it helps with recoil. It helps with everything. And, and yeah, with the right rig, it can actually help with the uh, the accuracy too. 
Well, sounds to me like you're having a bunch of fun, man. Oh, I've been out. I was out shooting every day for a month and a half. I took off work. <laughs> so I'll be back when I get this rifle figured out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I appreciate the call. That is a great range report. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. All right. I mentioned going into the break here. This story that came out, it's one of those pure happenstance. Last week on the show, I was talking about the stories that we had heard, and I assume them to be true, never come out, was never made public, uh, at the NRA. And remember, this is right now, this past week, we just had a full week of trial, Part the first week of what's supposed to be a six-week-long trial about the NRA and Wayne LaPierre and the people there. And of course, he announced his resignation like two days before the trial started, <laughs> like that's going to help him. It's not. But what I was saying was that the word I'd gotten was that before they split up, the NRA and Ackerman McQueen, Ackerman McQueen was the PR marketing agency they hired that basically ran the NRA. I mean, the NRA was run by Ackerman McQueen for more than a decade, specifically by Angus McQueen, the head of Ackerman McQueen. And the word I had always gotten was that ACMAC, as it was known, had these gold, black, or platinum Amex cards that they would use to charge things for the NRA that the NRA didn't want to be showing up. Like they didn't want Wayne LaPierre, for instance, to be using one of these cards, that it shows up on his card. Akron McQueen would use it to purchase, oh, private jet charters and suits and all sorts of things. And then when ACMAC would bill it back to the NRA, it would be under something nebulous like marketing services to hide it from everybody. And there are people who said, yeah, no, there's no evidence of that. Well, there is now. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't know who got to be in his bonnet. I don't know who's decided to flip on Wayne. I don't know who's going to throw him under the bus here. I have my suspicions. But an audio recording has come out. It was made at Ackerman McQueen with them discussing these very same specific things. I'm quoting from a story here. At a meeting in June 2009, the treasurer of the National Rifle Association worked out a plan to conceal luxury expenses involving its chief executive, Wayne LaPierre, according to audio of the meeting obtained by the Trace and ProPublica. The recording was unknown to New York's attorney general, who is pursuing the NRA and LaPierre over a range of alleged financial misdeeds. It shows in real time the NRA's treasurer, enlisting the group's longtime public relations firm to obfuscate the extravagant cost. In other words, hide it from everybody, including the board of directors. They hid it from the board of directors. Said uh, the meeting took place at the Virginia office of Ackerman McQueen. Let's see. The executives agreed that Ackerman would issue a platinum American Express card to Tyler Schropp, the new head of NRA's Advancement Division. Understand that Tyler Schropp, when he went to the NRA, he went there from Ackerman McQueen. It's like, you don't even need to change offices, man. Like, you know, you were with ACMAC, and now you're with the NRA. It's the same thing, with just a different title. And then it said they would make these big charges and then bill them back to the NRA under nondescript invoices. They made the point that, you know, basically Wayne doesn't want to be seen taking private flights. He doesn't want to be seen getting off of any of these private flights. He doesn't want 
anybody to know he's taken these chartered flights. Oh, gee, that's exactly what I was saying last week, isn't it? And now we have the audio recording of exactly that. A lot of other interesting, weird things going on. If, if you're interested in this ongoing soap opera drama of the NRA, or as I call it, the NRA debacle, there's a website. You can just look for NRA in danger, NRA in danger, and you can see they're posting information about it that's going on. I also am putting news about this up on X, you know, the Elon Musk's former Twitter thing. I am at Gun Talk over there if you want to look for me. And so every day I'll be putting some stories up there if you want to have the ongoing thing that's going on, find out what's, what's happening there. Hey, if you want to join us, 866-TALK-GUN. All right, here's one that I am not even sure if this is real. Let me find this because it was like, really? The, I'm pretty sure it's real, but it doesn't sound like it can be real. Norma, the ammunition company, put out a press release, an announcement. It's on their website, so it's probably true. I mean, it's got to be true. They have a new 22 rimfire cartridge. It's Well, it's, it's 22 long rifle. It's not a new cartridge. It's just new loading. And what got my attention was when they were saying, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be like a new accuracy load. It's going to be a new... No, 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 no. Wait for it. It's called the 22 Long Range Extreme, a 43-grain bullet. It's only going 1165 feet per second, which they're saying is high velocity. I don't see that as being particularly high velocity. But from their product overview, it says Extreme LR22. We take rimfire long-range precision to a new level. The patented bullet design features an elongated bullet tip for improved aerodynamics and a world's first rocket tail. The streamlined base, the streamlined base on the bullet, causes less negative pressure at the tail. Yeah, we know all that. It's like a boat tail. Wait, wait, wait. Go all the way to the bottom. Due to these improved flight characteristics, the cartridge sets a new standard of precision at distances beyond 500 plus yards. Yeah, we're talking about a 22 rimfire here. And distances beyond 500 yards. High velocity cartridge for shooting beyond 500 yards, it says. Okay, I'm not new at this. And I still get surprised occasionally, but I don't get surprised a lot. This one surprises me. And I'm looking at this and trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Because aerodynamics is just math, and math is, you know, not that difficult when it comes to external ballistics, that is, projectiles flying through the air. And we have a lot of information these days, like our previous caller was giving us long-range shooting, and we know how to do that. And maybe 500 yards with a twin rim fire? Sure, you can dial it up. You can get a, a mounting rail for your rifle and your scope that builds in elevation. And you can dial all that up. I gotta wonder though, because I've seen 22 bullets flying around in the wind. What kind of wind drift would you have if you're trying to hit something with, talk about even a 10 mile an hour wind. You could easily, I haven't run the numbers, I should. You could easily be looking at six, eight, ten feet 
the wind drift. And we're not talking inches, we're talking feet. I was on a prairie dog shoot one time, used a, an accurized Ruger 1022. It's actually from um, Jim Clark's outfit. They, they were the first people I know of to accurize the 1022. And this was a, a one inch at 100 yard rifle, really nice. And I'm shooting prairie dogs at 200 and even 300 yards. Well, <laughs> we're shooting at them. And with the 22, of course, you can see the bullet impact because it kicks up dust. And the wind drift was spectacular. And it was not a really windy day. But it was to the point where, and we did not, we weren't using the uh, external dials on scope. This was before all that. So you're just having to hold off. Having to hold off so far that you are almost out of the field of view of the scope. So one wonders, and maybe you can fill me in, help me out here. What's the deal with shooting to 500 yards with a 22 rimfire? Am I, what am I missing here? I mean, I, I think it's cool that Norma is doing this and it's, you know, more innovation and all of that. But holy cow, really? Oh, by the way, I just saw uh, Ruger announce that we're 60 years in on the Ruger 1022. It's hard to imagine. This is part of the announcement of whole if you've been watching a whole string of cool guns that Ruger's bringing out as part of their 75th anniversary. And now I just saw one from Smith and Wesson, a I think it's Texas Rangers of commemorative from the Texas Ranger or from uh, the folks at Smith and Wesson. They've got one of their revolvers. And then Ruger's got a really dolled up 1911 fixed up nicely. Uh, they've got some other things coming. We're going to be doing two, count them, two different remote broadcast from the SHOT Show. Whether there's that much to cover. Holy cow, there's a lot of new stuff coming out. Some that we've been talking about and some that, you know, they'll be announced at SHOT Show or the day before. So we'll be able to talk about them then. We'll see exactly how that goes. But it's going to be fascinating. And I, I mentioned earlier, it's going to be some interesting things in revolvers, some interesting things from the folks who make lever action rifles we know that uh let's see oh savage just announced a new cool rifle chris serino just did a video about that with us if you check our youtube channel for gun talk you can see his video on that a lot of things going on what are you looking for looking for a new gun 866 talk gun i'm tom gresham and this is gun talk Hey, welcome back. You know, over most of the country, a lot of the country right now, it's really cold. I mean, it's gotten seriously cold here. <sighs> Yesterday, I saw minus 26 on my car thermometer. We're not talking about windshield. We're talking about actual real temperature here. 26 below zero. I'm thinking about what that does to guns, and particularly for hunting rifles, because a lot of times we're out hunting in inclement conditions, in cold conditions. Well, what it can do is it can make your gun not go off at its core. Well, what's going on there? Well, I'm, let's talk about bolt-action rifles specifically right now. But this is going to apply to everything. We generally lubricate our guns to protect them from rust and to make sure that all the moving parts work where they're supposed to and slide without galling and all of that. And that's all great. Take a nice warm day. Everything works great. As the temperature starts dropping and gets colder and colder and colder, that oil can turn into something kind of like molasses, 
and grease turn into something not too far from concrete. And if you have a grease inside the bolt of your bolt-action rifle, it can slow down the firing pin when it's really cold to the point where it won't hit the primer with enough energy to have your gun go off. Hmm. Obviously, if you have a semi-automatic firearm, maybe the bolt doesn't cycle quickly enough or with enough force to pick up a round and you get failures to feed. This has been known for a long time. People who hunt in Alaska know all about this. They know about degreasing your gun. If you're out there hunting and it's really, really cold, you need to basically take your gun apart, degrease it, take the bolt apart. And now, of course, you can learn how to do that with YouTube because that's where we go to learn everything. But you take your bolt apart and you degrease everything inside. And you degrease your gun. You can use brake cleaner, you can use gun scrubber, you can use whatever. Just be careful when you use it. Those are powerful solvents. Get all the grease off and then use a very, very, very light coat of good gun oil. Not grease, just gun oil. And I would say, you know, if you don't spray it, wipe it. A drop or two is sufficient for most things. The goal here is to have everything work without having enough oil, grease, lubricant, whatever it is, that can thicken up and gum up and make your gun not work. And I would say this applies to everything. And don't forget your carry gun. You've got a semi-automatic carry gun. Particularly if you've been carrying it for a while and you got some grit, you got some dirt, you got some lint, you got some junk in there, you got some oil. You know, you've been taking it apart and then oiling it and putting it back together, but you haven't really been cleaning it. Hmm. And now, particularly if you're carrying it outside the waistband and not tucked in where it's staying nice and warm, it could be getting colder. It's only your life. It's only your parachute. Do you want to take care of that? Because it's supposed to take care of you. Oh, yeah. It's also supposed to take care of the people around you, the people you said you're going to be the person to protect, whether you're the, the husband, the wife, the friend, whatever. You've taken on that responsibility. Part of that responsibility is to make sure that your life-saving equipment works. So whether you're hunting in cold weather or any other use with your firearm, as it gets really cold, take time to look this up. Work on, and it's not a big deal. You take a gun apart, you clean it really well, you use degreaser, you get everything off of it, start over using a very light, thin film of a lightweight oil, not grease. It makes a huge difference. I mean, every Alaskan hunting guide can tell you stories about people who got up there and their guns got cold and they didn't work the way they're supposed to. Don't be that hunter. Don't be that person. All right, 866-TALK-GUN will get you in here. A lot of things going on. A major case just accepted by the U.S. Supreme Court. We're talking about the bump stock case. We're going to find out what's going on with that. 